Good afternoon, you're listening to 90.7 FM, KALX. I'm Franklin, and this is Berkeley Grocks. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on today's show, cancerous aspirin, eating arsenic, and the didgeridoo. In addition, we'll be joined by Ms. Barbara Goldsmith, who'll talk about the obsessive genius of Marie Curie. Also, we'll find out how a remote control works. So stay tuned for all this, plus the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous question of the week coming right up here on Berkeley Grocks. Back to Berkeley Grocks, I'm Franklin. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Pretty good, pretty good. So what's the first rule of Berkeley Grocks? Uh, you do not talk about Berkeley Grocks. Oh, man. <laughs> is that is that it? <laughs> or so is we it... must be the fight club if <laughs> we're <laughs> moving, huh? I guess. Or maybe it's just we beat the crap out of each other every day. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Are you? I'm ready to go, Let's man. Let's go. All right. I'm going to take those credit card companies. <laughs> Bring them all down. Oh, yeah. And if I tap out, just keep going. <laughs> I need the punishment. So uh, how do you punish yourself? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I guess by uh, staying in academia. I guess that's as good a reason as any. <laughs> you mean you don't have a healthy serving of arsenic every morning? Uh, I haven't tried it yet, but uh, that, that's something I might try. So it turns out a, um, a new microbe that has been discovered can do exactly that. And not only does it rely on uh, arsenic for its food, it has to thrive in a condition of pH greater than 9.8. Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty basic. It's pretty harsh, huh? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, okay, so <laughs> these, and, these situations arise regularly, I suppose. Of course. <laughs> Nature is uh, very... Uh, uh, wily. This was a uh, microbe that was found in um, Searles Lake in the Mojave Desert. Researcher uh, Ronald Ormlin of the U.S. Uh, Geological Survey discovered that he's actually been able to characterize this entire redox cycle. Hmm. So uh, what this microbe does is it takes in a arsenic-5 uh, with a, a charge of plus 5, and using it as an electron acceptor, it oxidizes organic compounds into CO2 and then uh, releases arsenic-3 in the process. Oh, wow. Okay. Fascinating cycle, I guess, <laughs> if you can keep track of all those arsenics. <laughs> all right. So it's like an electron transport chain, but it's using arsenic instead, right? Right. Basically, the concentration of arsenic there is about 30,000 times of that, which is the limit found <laughs> for water. So uh, pretty strong stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, life can evolve in all kinds of situations. Just look at prison. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, it suggests that you can have life evolving in the moon, Europa, or some other very harsh conditions. Uh, in- indeed, as I'm sure all the astrobiologists out there will be glad to know. <laughs> and uh, this is in a recent edition of Science, Volume 308. <laughs> All right, Frank, uh, I guess moving from arsenic to aspirin. Aspirin? Oh, man. Just to see what you're taking. I, I, you know. It's just as effective, I think. Well, you know, I'm sure all kinds of microbial bacteria are existing on the aspirin that I have since I haven't taken it in years. So it turns out uh, a group of researchers has actually been wondering whether or not aspirin could help stave off cancer. 
Ah, yes. I thought can stave off heart attack in at least men and some women, right? Right, right. And all has to do with its uh, action on a particular type of enzyme called cyclooxygenase. Oh. And it was thought, well, since uh, the cyclooxygenase apparently also seems to be involved in some types of cancers, mm-hmm. maybe it can help prevent that as well. Right. But uh, a recent public health study done by a group over at Harvard Medical School enlisted 40,000 healthy women over the age of 45 to take aspirin or vitamin E mm-hmm. to see actually if it would help uh, prevent cancers. And apparently the answer is no. Oh. So aspirin or vitamin E, no good, except for possibly lung cancer, which appears to be 22% less likely in uh, in aspirin takers. Not good news if you're trying to stave off cancer. I guess good news that it doesn't cause anything bad. <laughs> I- I'm sure it's uh, more effective than arsenic. <laughs> I don't know. They haven't done... <laughs> arsenic wasn't part of the trial. Maybe arsenic is the magical cure. In high concentrations. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so it's uh, fascinating work, and this is actually published in a uh, recent edition of the Journal of the American Medical Association. JAMA. JAMA. So how old do you sleep, Charles? Uh, well, I guess uh, fitfully. Okay, and you can uh, breathe okay when you're sleeping? Uh, I, I assume so, because I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I guess for some people who have um, difficulty breathing during sleep, they use uh, products like Breathe Right, right. Uh, nasal strips that help to keep the uh, sinuses open while you're right. sleeping. So, I use marijuana, but <laughs> that'll <laughs> so put you right out. <laughs> Uh, it's been reported by David Cummings, a subscriber to Chemical Engineering News, that if you take these strips and uh, peel them open in the dark, they'll actually uh, give off a little flash. Oh, okay. And uh, he's now called the Cummings effect, uh, cold light luminescence. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just like those little glow sticks, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's like all kinds of chemicals that <laughs> luminesce. But apparently it's the adhesive they use that when you pull it apart, gives off this luminescent effect. So. Oh, wow. How long does the light last? You know, oh, flash. flash. Okay. That's <laughs> just a cool trick you can now do at home. Uh, something to keep in mind, I guess, if you're, you're stuck with a bunch of these and, and are in the dark. Uh, Alright, well, that's very cool. So, so if the... anyone wants to find out, go to a supermarket and get some Breathe Right. <laughs> okay, well, I got a group of people who might be interested in those Breathe Right strips. Didgeridoo players. <laughs> didgeridoo? Yes, the didgeridoo. <laughs> this is like the, the big, you know, tube in uh, in Australia. Oh, okay. <laughs> For all Australian. Actually, we have a lot of Australian fans, oddly enough. <laughs> Keep yes, getting all from these the emails. other side of the equator. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Apparently, that's the only part of the world where they can actually tolerate us. I'm not sure. but <laughs> I've never crossed the equator, but I hope to do that one day. <laughs> uh, I'm sure just intelligent life on the other side. Well, I, I'm sure much more intelligent than on this side, because <laughs> they wouldn't elect somebody like Bush. But anyway, so it turns out that uh, researchers have actually been wondering, what's the physical mechanism? behind playing the didgeridoo. It's just a big, long tube. How can it produce all these very weird, exotic sounds? And it turns out that uh, a group of researchers, uh, Alex Tarnovsky and Joe Wolf, at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, actually were investigating this by, they basically pumped sound into the didgeridoo, different frequencies, okay. and looked to see what frequencies were actually enhanced in the uh, vocal tracks. And it turns out they could figure out how the uh, throat was acting in these didgeridoo players. And it turns out, basically, the didgeridoo players have mastered the art of glottal control. Wow. Which is, you know, used in things like singing and things like that and producing sound. So subconsciously, they've apparently mastered this art and have been able to, like, make all these sounds just by controlling their glottis. Wow. <laughs> wow. Take that, tuba players. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know. <laughs> yeah, what do the tuba players do? <laughs> just yeah. blow really hard, I guess. They can sound off two frequencies at the same time, right? Oh, is that right? I thought that was, uh, what was it, throat singings, right? Right. Yeah, the tube and throat singings. Yeah, pretty cool. Anyway, so this is very fascinating stuff, and it was uh, published in the recent edition of Nature. And that's all for this week's look at current developments in the world of science and technology. This is Berkeley Grox you're listening to here on 90.7 FM. Coming up, 
Barbara Goldsmith joins us to talk about the life of Madame Curie. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Berkeley Rocks. Today on the show, we're going to talk about one of my favorite people, uh, someone I've admired both as a scientist and as a person. She is Marie Curie, a uh, Polish immigrant who became a scientist in France at the turn of the century. And joining us today to talk about her life and her work is Barbara Goldsmith, recent author of Obsessive Genius, The Inner World of Marie Curie. Ms. Goldsmith, thanks for joining us on Berkeley Rocks today. It's my pleasure. Madame Curie continues to inspire a generation of scientists, and certainly there's no lack of admirers. Uh, tell us, how did you become interested in her, and how did you uh, come about writing this book? Well, she was a childhood heroine of mine. I had her picture up on the bulletin board when I was a kid, as you'll read in Obsessive Genius. But I didn't really know anything about her. I just knew the story that, you know, she had discovered radium and that it was a cure for cancer and she was this great scientist and so forth and so on. But then a friend of mine who is a professor at Princeton and a great French expert said to me, Barbara, did you know that papers of Marie Curie's, her workbooks, her letters, her diaries, that have been sealed for 70 years, have now come into the public domain. And would you like to look at them? And I thought, oh, I would, because every book I'd ever read on Marie Curie just seemed to repeat the book before. And this was a promise of new material, and wow, was it. I mean, it told me everything about her life, that she had this glorious but tragic life, and it was more fascinating than anything I'd even imagined. And perhaps you could share some of the revelations you had as you researched into the life of Marie Curie. Well, the first revelation was that the reason the papers had been sealed for 70 years was that they were radioactive, and they could contaminate everything. So when I got to them, they had been decontaminated, <laughs> and I think that's about the most unusual research project I've ever done. You know, I've, I've not been able to get to papers without a lot of trouble because the family didn't want certain secrets revealed or something like that, but radioactivity was a new one on me. <laughs> and and um, I didn't even know Marie Curie wasn't French. She was a Polish girl, Mania Sklodowska. She came from a really poor family, 
poor in a way that a scuttle of coal on a cold day was a real major financial choice. She lived on a very meager diet, but it was a very intellectually rich family, and she worked as eight years as a governess to be able to get a ticket to Paris and go to the Sorbonne. Now, that really was a revelation to me that that here she changed her name from Manya to Marie, and it was Manya Sklodowska, and then she met the scientist Pierre Curie and married him, and uh, then she became Marie Curie. Great, and of course the story is also a, a love story. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about it? Well, it's a love story, but not in the cliched way. When you meet a stranger across a crowded room, you know, it wasn't like that. She sought out Pierre Curie because she needed very sophisticated for the time, of course now it doesn't look sophisticated, equipment in order to measure metal and see what the waves coming out of energy were from these metal substances. And she went to him to help her design equipment and to give her some laboratory space because she had no laboratory space. Well, he didn't either. He didn't have a laboratory either. But he did design great equipment for her, which led eventually to her being able to measure radioactivity. It's a word she coined. In researching for this book, I understand you actually met descendants of Marguerite Curie. What was it like uh, talking to them? Oh, yes. Her granddaughter, Hélène Lange von Joliot, is a wonderful physicist in France and is very, very interested in atomic science. And she has a daughter, Marie Curie, who's still alive at 102, And in Obsessive Genius, The Inner World of Marie Curie, they give me a lot of insights into how she was as a woman. She was far from perfect, and she was far from this myth of having it all, children, a great husband, a great career. None of those things proved to be true. She was a very human, very tortured, very obsessed and driven person. But she loved what she really wanted to do, right? That's the only thing she seemed to really, really love after her husband died. Died in a very tragic accident, and she was only 38 at the time. A lot of people know the outer world of Marie Curie, that she won one Nobel Prize in 1903 and another in 1911. And when you consider there have only been six women who have won Nobel Prizes in in the sciences, she won two, and her daughter Irene, as you will read in Obsessive Genius, won one. So that only leaves three others in the entire history of the Nobel Prize. So that was amazing. And I wanted to see who the woman was behind the scientist. Recently, a couple of months ago, uh, the Harvard president was in a controversy for saying that women uh, were supposedly not as qualified to be in the hard sciences, um, and certainly uh, the story of Marie Curie uh, disproves that. Do you have any comments? I sure do. I think President Bush might have, might have said the best when, 
when uh, someone asked him about it, and he said, oh, boy, he never read about Marie Curie. He didn't say they might not be well qualified. He said they might have something genetically different that disqualified them. And, of course, that got everybody angry because there are some men that are very suited for science and some women and some that are not. But women do not get tenure as easily. They don't have mentors. They're not called on in class. They are offered lower-paying jobs. There's no concession if they have a family at all. And those things have to change. And more and more we're seeing in history women who made great discoveries and men took credit for them. And until Pierre Curie died, when Marie was only 38, the majority of people thought it was Pierre Curie that was doing all these things. They couldn't have thought that after he died. And so she began to get some credit. But people like Lisa Meitner, who figured out how the atom was split and how to start a chain reaction Mm -hmm. because of the Holocaust, she was a Jew and a victim of Nazism. And two other people, Hahn and Strassman, got the Nobel Prize for a discovery she made. Mrs. Levitt's stars, she discovered how to measure space. And it was just four months ago that people began to read about Henrietta Levitt. We're getting more and more of the truth coming out. And, of course, the worst thing about what Larry Summers did was women need encouragement not to be discouraged. And um, what he said would have really discouraged the average woman, plus being pretty ignorant. Great. And what are some of your current projects? Are you writing about any other historical figures? No. Um, I'm always interested in giving my reader more than the person. And Marie Curie, in writing Obsessive Genius, The Inner World of Marie Curie, you learn all about France at the turn of the century, what it was like to live there, what the moral standards were between men and women, what, you know, men could have all the affairs they wanted. If a woman had an affair, she was a pariah. And later in life, you'll read in Obsessive Genius, after her husband died, she did have an affair with a marriage scientist, Mm -hmm. and the newspapers called her a Polish whore. They stoned her house. They tried to drive her out of France. So it isn't really just the science. I like to tell a great story, and I also like to make the science so accessible. I have a 15-year-old grandson who said he understood everything about the science, so I was very proud of that because I believe in narrative drive. You've got to tell a great story. If you don't have a great story to tell, just don't write the book. Mm-hmm. Looking back to the turn of century, now, we certainly see, at least for some people, uh, many improvements in social equity, but certainly a lot more can be done. Uh, what do you think are some of the things we can do to reduce these barriers today? Women have made enormous strides. And for the first time, you're beginning to see women and women who are scientists being presidents of colleges, and so they're going to bring along women. The head of CCNY 
you know, the head of, of Smith, the head of Vassar. They're all scientists, and they all know that women can make it in science. And also, women have had a problem when their self-confidence is undermined. And I think now they're beginning to say, hey, you know, not even beginning. They are saying, I can do it, and no one has a right to say I can't do it. And whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. I was on the President's Commission for the Furtherance of Women, and um, it was great. There was an astronaut on it, Ellen Ochoa. She operates the robotic arm, and she worked for eight years to get into that program and to be able to go on missions. She did it. It took eight years, but she did it. She has a wonderful husband. She has children. She has everything. But she believed she could do it. She used every argument, including women are lighter in space. <laughs> <laughs> These days, are there any real-life Marie Curies that you can think of? You know something? I don't think we'll know for another quarter of a century who emerges as the great heroines. But just look around you at the women who are excelling before Madeleine Albright, before Condoleezza Rice. And if you look around the world before Margaret Thatcher, the women were not in these positions. Hillary Clinton, spectacular politician, with none of the problems of Bill Clinton. So you're beginning to see women emerging in worlds that, if at the time of Marie Curie, they said only men should have them. And yesterday I read in the New York Times of these three women brain surgeons who are now considered the preeminent brain surgeons. Well, that was a field that was almost totally male because they said women couldn't handle these heavy tools that chip through the skull. Well, now women use power-driven tools, <laughs> and it's less invasive, much neater, and they're really terrific. So everywhere you look, if your eye is on that, you'll see women emerging everywhere. I just want to tell you that I enjoyed reading your book a lot, and uh, even the science was very uh, easy to understand and exciting to uh, to read about. Miss um, Goldsmith, are, are there any last words you'd like to add about your book, uh, yourself, or any uh, future work? My last book, Other Powers, is a, The Age of Suffrage, Spiritualism, and the Scandalous Victoria Woodhull. It's about a woman who ran for president in 1872, and it's won all sorts of awards. It's going to be a movie with Nicole Kidman and it's coming from Universal. Kathy Kennedy, who's Spielberg's producer, is producing it. And I'm very excited about that. And um, I haven't yet decided what my next book will be. But usually my books find me. I don't find them. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us on Broken Rocks today. Oh, I'm very happy to have done it, and I'm so glad you enjoyed Obsessive Genius. And we were just talking to Miss Barbara Goldsmith, author of Obsessive Genius, The Inner World of Marie Curie. We here at Berkeley Rocks recommend this book, and it's now available online at Barnes & Noble's, Amazon, and bookstores around the country. This is Berkeley Rocks you're listening to here on 90.7 FM KALX. Coming up, the Grokotron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week, so stay tuned.
Well, Ms. Barbara Goldsmith has kindly agreed to join us on this week's edition of the Grokotron 5000, the computer formerly known as Deep Blue. This week's question, obsessive or genius? Subject number one, New York Senator Hillary Clinton. I don't think politicians are obsessive because the issues, obsessive people concentrate on one issue for a long, long time until they get some sort of answer, like Einstein, you know, with his theory of relativity. Politicians, the issues keep changing, so they cannot afford to obsess on one issue or they're going to sink. They have to be able to be more mobile. And I I don't really know of any obsessive politician who's been successful. And subject number two, television host Oprah Winfrey. How about her? I think she's great. She got more people back reading than ever read before. She um, She's a really good role model, and um, I just think she's fabulous, but not obsessive. She has a very broad range of things, and uh, she's conscientious, and she works hard, but I don't think she obsesses. Obsessive or a genius, the President of the United States? Neither. Well, I mean, if you'd ever heard him give a speech, you know he's no genius. <laughs> One came across my computer yesterday about Social Security, and it was like a Saturday Night Live. I mean, it, it was just made no sense at all. But um, he, uh, he has managed to project an image of taking care of the American people. And I think many people feel that he will protect them from an unseen danger. And I think that's his popularity, but neither obsessive nor a genius. And subject number four, obsessive or genius, Paris Hilton. Paris who? (laughs) 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 You know, um, unfortunately, we live in a celebrity society. And Andy Warhol said, everybody has to be famous for 15 minutes. I think she's had maybe 13 minutes, and um, she may have another two. But um, it doesn't... It, 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 doesn't Americans wake up at first they let people be famous for doing nothing at all you know but after a while they get pretty bored with it and the new the, there's always a new face and a a new shock and a new dog and a new boyfriend whatever it is and lastly obsessive or genius Star Wars creator George Lucas maybe it's because I have a son who's in the animation business. I don't think you have to be a genius to be an animator, be a special effects person, but he's he's really good at what he does. I reserve the word genius for very, very few people, and um, I find that the idea now that when you go to a, a Broadway show, even if it's terrible at the end, everybody gets a standing ovation, is just silly, and um, I reserve genius for people like Einstein and Beethoven and Galileo. Ms. Goldsmith, thanks for being with us on the Grokotron 5000. Uh, thank you. Yeah, hello. Now here's Herr Dr. Prussian Einstein with the answer to last week's question of the week. Yeah, you know, these TVs, they go faster than light nowadays. How is that possible? You know, changing the channels and all such. Very disease remote controls. Very fascinating things, these things. Infrared radiation. Faster than light. The television on and off. Blink, blink. That's all.
thank you, Professor Einstein. And now here's Forrest with this week's question of the week. What's the most abundant compound in the body? My mama used to say that life is like a box of chocolates. Chocolates are not the most abundant compounds in the body. But if you know what is the most abundant compound in the body, email us at groks at hotmail.com. If you know the answer, or think you know the answer, you can email us here at groks at hotmail.com. You won't win anything, but you might just be a little refreshed. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grox, you can email us at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music.